Hello and welcome to a very special edition of Three Night Bender. It's actually Three Morning Bender today because we're doing this show a little earlier than we normally do. Um, I am. So that'll that'll Whoa. change that'll change our drink for the day. Uh, on the on the docket, we're looking at UCF football news, uh, college football news. We got our Twitter Twitter Mafia Hero of the Week. Um, some notes about UCF soccer, UCF basketball. And also the Magic, who aren't doing so bad right now. But before we get started, um, again, I'm Hauser. I'm with uh, the booze man, Boozos. He's going to introduce our drink that we're going to be doing this morning. Top of the morning to you. Yeah. (laughs) Little little different than we've normally been doing, but uh, I'll let him introduce this. Yeah, so we're not going to be drinking a beer, obviously, because um, it's not Saturday and I really don't feel like getting day drunk because I've got work to do. But we have a Sideward Brewing Cold Brew Coffee. It's actually something you'll pick up from the brewery. Uh, they take locally, ro- locally roasted beans from Lineage Coffee, and they actually brew it on site and create their own cold brew coffee in these nice tall cans. It's, I've never had it before. Caitlin had our other cans, so we had we have a pack of four. We got one left, and she had one one morning, and uh, so this will be my first experience trying this coffee. So, cheers, my friend. All right, cheers. Let's wake, let's wake the f up. <laughs> All right, oh, great. It's, it's it has no creamer, cream or anything. And, <laughs> I love black coffee. That's mm. where I'm at. That's because you're a psychopath. You know they say that there's a high correlation between psychopaths and people who drink black coffee. I don't think I've ever heard that. It's a statistic. You can look it up. Well, I'll check it out later. But let's let's get into this. Let's talk some UCF football news. Um, obviously, we played the South Florida or West Florida Bulls. This the West week. West Florida Community College Bulls. I'm not even giving them the benefit of having university in their name anymore. They're no. I used to make the mistake of calling them the University of West Central Florida, whatever. They're just the West Central Florida Community College, community college Bulls. Well, the way to me. the way that we gave them a beatdown, they did look like a community college. Final score was what thirty-seven to seven or something like that. It was it was thirty-four to seven. Thirty-four to seven. Yes. We could have poured it on a bit more if we needed to. We I mean, definitely could. I'm. I, I, there was a lot of fans that were mad that we didn't pour it on actually, which. You don't have to be like that. Like you won, we won, we beat them down. You could just see they were defeated. Charlie was gone after that game, so there was no reason to just kind of put salt in the wound. I think I think what Heupel did was what you know football coaches should do. You're not Steve Spurrier with the whole oh if you want to beat us or if you want to just stop us. Like, that was his mentality. If you don't want to score more on you, just stop us. Well, whatever. Right. I think a lot of us still remember that 2016 year where yeah. Willie Taggart was running up the score at the end of the game, even though they. Soundly had it. They were still going for it. Or you, you got know. Jim Levitt running up the score back in like 2006. Yeah. So, so we, th- we, there was a lot of history that we could have. But you know what? We're the better school. We're the bigger man. We're the I, bigger school. I like that idea. So, but you know, just some, just a quick little rundown. So you know, obviously we beat them pretty soundly. That the game, there was never a game. It was never close. Um, our players. Well, the great. first quarter. I mean, it was only what seven zero, or it was a, yeah, but it was that a is close a, quarter. I don't feel like it was necessarily close because I didn't feel like USF was ever a scoring threat. Like right. they, they never put themselves in a position as watching the game that made me go, "Oh wow, we're in trouble." You know, they they had a very difficult time from top to bottom moving the ball. They had barely a hundred and twenty yards passing. They had under barely under over. I'm sorry, barely over barely over a hundred yards rushing total as a team. So you're talking 200 total yards of offense when you have our quarterback, who's a freshman, who throws for 270, which is more than the total offense of all of USF combined by himself. So you know 
Gabriel has a huge game, 270 yards, two touchdowns, no turnovers. Uh, Killens with 115 yards at his last home game, which I thought was pretty awesome and special. I mean, a guy like that deserves every every opportunity, to, you know, to to flash. And I think that's going to be a really good final piece of film for you know U.S. Uh, for uh, NFL scouts. So I don't think he's going to get drafted or anything like that. Unfortunately, I think he's too small, but I do think he'll be picked up in free agency when it's all said and done. Uh, but you have a great game from Mac, who had a rushing touchdown, and also had, you know a beautiful pass that he threw that was almost 40 yards. So that that gave a nice little spark to our offense. Gabe Davis with his last game as a UCF Knight, you know, catching eight balls for over 100 yards and two touchdowns. So some pretty awesome moments from some great players for us. And he did didn't he break a record? I think he for did. UCF? He beat uh, he beat Gabriel. I'm sorry, what's his name? Um, Doug Gabriel, who actually played for UCF in like the early 2000s, and I know him. He was actually a offensive coordinator of a coaching staff I coached on at East River. But he held the record, the single-season record for most yards in the season. And so Gabe Davis is now the record holder for that. Um, I do not believe he came close to beating Mike Sims Walker's record for most receptions in a, in a single season. So I think that might be one of the only receiving um, statistics he might not be in the top two for. I believe he's one of the top two or three receivers across the board as a career, though. Because for the most part, he had a pretty productive career. I mean, I mean it helped a lot having um, Milton as his quarterback last year that gave him some stats. So... You know, had a very productive year, almost thirteen hundred yards. Yeah. So, and he broke. I think he, I saw he broke the record by like four or five yards. So that was yeah, it was that close. Was, that it was, was cool close. that he did that. Probably yeah. as his last appearance as a knight. I think yeah. we're, there's a chance he might not come. To, he might not play in the bowl game simply because he's. Gonna, he, he, if you guys didn't know, we'll talk about this a little bit later. But he did declare for the draft, so there's a chance that he may not play. We'll uh, see. Well, we'll see. It's it's been special either way. Um, we did uh, since it is the end of the season. Um, we did have some uh, conference recognitions. We had some first team conference members and some second team conference members, mm-hmm. as well as quite a few uh, honorable mentions. Um, I think our first teams. Uh, if I'm sure you have them up, but I think it's I Gabe Davis. Yep. Obviously, uh, Jake Brown, who came back. You know, I think he's quit twice as being an O lineman, but yeah. has come back. Two years, and I think he's like a three or four time winner of that award. Correct, um, and that's he's, pretty he's a, impressive. He's a, he's a good offensive lineman. It was, I was always kind of disappointed that they rotated him as much as they did. I know they have a freshman offensive tackle that they kept putting in, but you know he was a senior. I felt like he deserved to play nonstop, but you know he he had a great season. Obviously, first team, and it wasn't the first time he's been that. And then the other one was Richie Grant, who uh, you know has always been great for us. Didn't yep. ha- didn't have a huge year, but you know was enough to be the the best in the conference. Yeah, we one of the top two safeties. It's hard to beat that. I mean, one of the, Cincinnati had a lot of defensive players. Obviously, they were probably the top defensive team in our conference this year. So they had quite a few. And then we go to second team. We had uh, Cole Schneider at, at offensive guard, who I really like. I think he's going to be. A, I mean, he's only a sophomore, so right. we got him for hopefully two more years. Yeah, good sized kid who's only going to keep getting bigger. Um, we had uh, Adrian Killings, obviously. I, I'm doesn't surprise me he wasn't first team simply because I think the name would been would have been the biggest thing, but he didn't have the same stats that he's put up in previous years. I think part of that was for the change in the offense of what we did. We weren't we we didn't really use him in the way that Frost used him the last you know his first two years here. So I think that played a little bit of an impact in that. You got Nate Evans at linebacker again. Not surprising. He was a freaking monster. So I'm I'm proud to see him up on that list. Aaron Robinson, the transfer from Alabama. Uh, at safety, and then we got some honorable mention. All right. So uh, just a touch, just a touch on the honorable mention. We got uh, Otis Anderson again. Not surprising. Navelle Clark, Trey Nixon, and Kenny Turnier, who uh, also was a great addition for us at, at, at the defensive line when we lost some big players. So um, 
the fact that he's stepped up and he's played as hard as he has is pretty awesome. And he's become a little bit of a force on Twitter. I saw him recently kind of, you know, tweeting out there a little bit in the Twitter sphere. So I, I, <laughs> I like that kid. I th- he's only a junior, so we get him hopefully back for next year as well. Biggest exception that was not on that list that really surprised me was our quarterback, uh, Dylan Gabriel. Uh, you know, granted a freshman, but 27 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, 3,500 yards. I mean, the the players they had on there, the quarterback from, from Navy, if you haven't really been paying attention to the conference overall, was a monster. You know, Navy quarterbacks put up ridiculous rushing statistics. But, you know, Steve, I can't pronounce his last name, but the, the quarterback from SMU was first team, and the quarterback from Memphis was second, which isn't surprising. I mean, those are both great quarterbacks. They have they're, they're, they're pass-happy offenses, so it makes sense. But I would have hoped to at least get an honorable mention for the freshman QB. Yeah, and, you know, they might be holding him back there just because he is a freshman and there was yeah. some other talent. Um, I think that the coach of the year was the Navy guy, right? Yes, okay. yes. And, and I think that's coming off the fact that they had a really bad year last year and he turns around. And that That's the problem with when you're in an academy school is it's really hard to sustain success just because you, the kids that you get are not, you know, they're not the five-star athletes that you want. They're kids that are going into a possible military career. Uh, not possible. They're going into a military career. That's where they go to the military academy. You can only be there for two years before you have to commit to a military contract. And from that point, you know, you, you don't have players that want to go into the NFL knowing that they're going to be committed to the military as well. There was an exception. I think he played for West Point. He uh, was drafted in the NFL. He was like the first academy kid that was drafted in like t- two decades or something like that. Oh, really? And the military actually deferred his service and said he did not have to serve. He can go put, do his time in, into the uh, in the NFL and that he could do um, uh, like uh, National Guard or reserve work as opposed to having to actually do like military service which i thought was really cool yeah and it's because obviously servicemen you know they, they, they huge sacrifice for our country they're amazing people um so i think that the fact that he had the opportunity to play in the nfl the, in the military said you know what we don't get many of you people here so you go be you you do, you do awesome things and provide for your family that was pretty cool well looking at our outlook for next year i mean we've we've we're going to lose quite a few seniors just to being seniors mm-hmm. um you know, and AK is a big one of those. And yeah, Nate Evans is another. Right. He's gone. And there's some, some big names there. I think we have some, some up-and-coming young talent, which is good. Um, but as far as losing players who aren't seniors who may go to the NFL, I mean. Yeah, we touched on, uh, we touched on uh, Gabe Davis. Obviously, was at the tip of everybody's tongue. Everyone knew he was going to leave. Right. I mean, 6'3", 220 to 30-pound, big body, I mean, fast gets great separation, attacks the ball. He's just a powerfully built kid. And you knew the moment he was coming from Sanford Seminole that he was going to be an NFL player right. just because he was that big when he was a freshman. So I expected him to leave. In, in my deepest of hearts, I was trying to come up with all these scenarios of why he would stay. You know, his his best friend who played high school ball with him, um, uh, Bam Moore, right. you know, tearing his ACL coming back next year would be a reason. His younger brother is going to be a freshman next year playing tight end for us, or maybe they might flex him out as like a big receiver because that's basically what he is. He's not like a true tight end. He's not like a powerful in-line blocking tight end. But uh, you got those two players who are very close to him. Maybe you know not being a first-round draft pick combined with those little factors would cause him to go, oh, maybe I should come back for my senior year. 
Nah, he, he declared yesterday, so he's going to the NFL officially. Yeah, and I, I mean, we're we're being selfish there to think that he would come back and, yeah, go and get hope your money, that he dude. would. I, I want him to go get rich. Go be it. There's not a fan that is mad at him. I mean, no, not at all. 100 want him to go do exactly. It was pure for selfish motive that I wanted yeah. him to stay. I'll be honest. When I I got my ball signed by him at the beginning of the year, I did too. The, actually, I got a photo with him. I'm pretty stoked for that now. <laughs> after the spring game, and uh, and I said, hey man, I'm going to get another signature next year, right? And he just kind of looked at me like I think even at the beginning of the year yeah, he knew this was. He NFL year that he was going to be having. And, and he obviously did. He had a great year. I mean, he had a little bit of a lull kind of, you know, midseason, but I think that was because he had double coverage with, you know, with, oh, yeah. with, with zone blanketed over him. So he, there was, they did everything they could to shut him down. And that, that really opened up the door for Marlon Williams and Trey who I both think will be back next year. They're both juniors. I think that those two top receivers are coming. We got some great talent coming in. Um, yeah. We had that one transfer we just talked about who transferred in from. I think from a, a, a school out west, uh, that little that five ten or five eleven, one hundred and seventy pound speedster kid. Oh, um, is that the kid from Oklahoma? Or? Yeah, Oklahoma. That's right. Yeah, four, yeah, he, four star recruit. Yeah, he uh, he had to redshirt this year for transfer reasons because they didn't give him immediate eligibility. So you have him who's going to be eligible. Um, so I mean, he can definitely fill a role. He's not going to be a Gabe Davis kind of kid. I think Marlon Williams has the ability to be kind of like a Gabe Davis right. in, the, in the sense that he's a little bigger. Than Trey Nixon, I think Trey Nixon's a perfect number two slot receiver because of his size and his quickness. And then you get the speedster like that that you can even go outside and stretch the stretch the top of the defense, or you put him in the slot and you just let him do his thing out there and keep Nixon outside. Uh, I think we're gonna have a very great receiving core. I mean, obviously having uh, Davis back next year would have been ideal because then you're returning almost, I think probably 20 of your 22 starters. Yeah. Um, I, I can't say that because, you know, you got people like Jake Brown who's graduating, obviously. So he's one. Nate Evans is graduating, so he's another. Um, but we don't lose a ton of our top talent. We're going to bring back a lot of starters next year. So I would I would be surprised if we have if, if we go into a bowl game and we beat a P5 opponent and we have and we blow them out. It's going to be very hard for the for any committee or the AP or the coaches poll to not rank us at the end of the year. I know everyone's going to point at the Tulsa game. So that's a reason not to rank us ever again like, for the rest of this year and maybe even preseason next year. But if we blow a, a, a Power 5 opponent out and knowing that we're going to have that much talent coming back next year and that most of that talent are freshmen, sophomore, and juniors, it's going to be a great year for 2020 for UCF football. Yeah, I mean, I'm on board with that. Just just with our quarterback talent alone, I think we can be a, a force. Um, you know, one of the players that we mentioned that we're losing is Adrian Killens, who's been mm-hmm. – you know, has bled UCF football for the last few years, and we've really. I would almost him. say he's, he he embodies what UCF football has been in the last. He's he's a I mean, kid's not big, but he he was never scared to run through the tackles. Even though how much I'd slam my face against the ball, saying why we running a five nine hundred and sixty pound running back up the middle. But you know, yeah. he would try to he'd fight for every yard, and he was just so fast. He has so many great highlights. I'm gonna love watching his film for years to come. And I think he was recognized by many of the people mm-hmm. around the country as being the fastest football player in college mm-hmm. football, which was kind of a cool thing to have. You know, it is, yeah. Whether he is or not, I mean, everyone kind of said that, so that was that was a fun mm-hmm. thing to follow. But the good thing is, we have a a big stock of running backs we coming do. back. I have, I am a Bentavious Thompson I fan, and I have said this many times. So I'm really excited for him next year. Otis Anderson is going to come back, which is great. And then um, McCray. We got we have Greg McCray for his senior year, who I don't think – he's a junior this year. I don't think he's declaring. I don't see Otis Anderson declaring. I think that the unfortunate thing is that they're both fairly small backs. Um, coming from a group of five school, I don't think they'd be drafted. So right. I think that you look at someone like 
Um, uh, he was uh, Snelson, Dendrick Snelson, who, who who left early last year, declared for the draft, was undrafted. Right. You know, bounced around on a couple teams for practice squad, never got picked up by anybody. Great football player. Uh, the, what, what we could have done with him in our receiving stable right now would have been amazing. Right. But I think you look at a story like him when you are an undersized kid with playing, unfortunately, on a, a school that is not you know an SEC powerhouse. You're you're not going to get first looks. Period. Unless you are. 6'3", 220 pounds. That's ideal prototypical size for an NFL player. Even at running back, I know the NFL has shifted dramatically towards kind of scat backs that can catch the ball. It's a running back by committee kind of thing, but they're not traditional NFL backs. They might, you know, it's it's moving in their direction where they're going to be the type of player you're going to see more on NFL rosters, but we're still not 100% there yet. And I think because of that, it would behove them to get an extra year. I think Greg... Greg uh, uh, Greg McRae has a really good chance of possibly being drafted next year because he is probably the biggest outside of Bentavious. Bentavious is thicker, but I think Greg has got good size. Yeah. I think Otis is a good utility player who can benefit from more film. And, you know, hopefully we get in that playoff contention next year and that gives him more exposure to be drafted. But I, I think it would be best if they stayed. And we'd, be, we'd have a powerful backfield, great receivers, a, running, a quarterback that comes back, an offensive line that loses, and unfortunately two starters, but we've got great depth behind them. So yeah, and you know, like you said, those guys with their size, we can kind of count on them for being here for four years. McCray yeah. McCray had a monster sophomore year, got hurt this year, didn't have the same kind of year. I don't think mm-hmm. we're in danger of losing him. But do you see any? You know, the seniors who want to try and play at the next level will declare and do what they can to get drafted. Mm-hmm. But um, do you see any younger guys besides um, Gabe Davis that that may have a chance of? declaring or leaving well looking at our roster you know marlon williams is a junior with size but i don't think he had this he's not i don't think he leaves just because i don't think he has the same name as gabriel as as gabe davis right so i think he'll stay i don't think trey nixon leaves i think he was the only other threat um because he was at one point a power five kid who played for Ole miss before he transferred so you know he was a possibility but again i don't think that he i think he comes back and has a monster senior year and he can be you know, a, a third round, second round pick maybe next year if he has a monster year. Um, the biggest name for me that pops would would definitely be uh, Richie Grant. Right. He's a junior. He could leave if he wants. I mean, he's got some recognition as being a first-team conference this year. Um, he's arguably our best defensive back. Uh, I think that you got Neville Clark who's going to graduate, but uh, I think that Richie Grant had the best year of all of them. He didn't have as huge a year as I think he could have, I th- and I think that came a little bit with – um, some of the youth on the defense and injuries happening where you have other, you know, we had to kind of shuffle our defensive backfield a little bit with um, Bam Moore getting hurt, who I thought also he could have been a kid that could have left early, but he's going to have to come back on a medical red shirt. So I think that we aren't really in, I'm not in fear of losing any underclassmen on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and outside of the kids that we already mentioned, I, I don't see anybody else declaring personally, but you never know. Some kids can surprise you. It surprised me when Snelson declared when he did. Right. So you never know. Some yeah. kids, they want to go for the money. Um, you just have to remember how competitive it is, and it's it's the truth. You know, half a percent of all players ever that play high school ball will ever get close to the NFL. Half a percent's a very small number. So, not to say that you shouldn't chase your dreams, but you have to know. It, it, I think it's a it's a matter of timing, knowing you know when to jump into the draft and go for that. I mean, obviously, when you senior out and you and you grade out, you have nothing you can do if you're going to go in that class whether you like it or not. But when you're an underclassman, you got to look at who's going into the draft. We have a stable of receivers that are, you know, going next year with C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma, who's 
awesome. And I think that the second receiver from Oklahoma who looks good, you got receivers from Ohio state that are going to be first round picks. So there's a lot of big time players in that regard. There's a lot of big time running backs, a lot of big time defensive backs from Bama and LSU graduating and Ohio state. So you kind of have to pick and choose your battles when it comes to the draft and know who's your competition and what will give you the best opportunity to, you know, if you can find a weaker draft class, you can join and it'll, it'll push you up in the rankings, which happens a lot. When teams get desperate, when they don't see depth in the NFL when it comes to drafting players. And sometimes players that wouldn't be a first-round draft pick the next year will be simply because they don't have the depth there. Or, or, or vice versa, if you know there's going to be some great players coming out your senior year and you can declare early and then fly up the draft rankings because you know they didn't, you know know they the depth at your position isn't there, that helps a lot as well. Well, hopefully Richie and anybody else who's thinking about declaring for the draft really listens to the right people and gets mm-hmm. gets a grade um, and, and goes off of that, but doesn't make any decisions based on purely money because they think they can get in now. But if it's the right decision for them, we hope they do it. Absolutely. And um, we also have, we're losing a couple kids to transfer. I know that was one of the other that's topics. That's what I was going to bring up next. So we, we know of one for sure. Well, we know of two for sure that mm-hmm. have entered into the, the transfer portal. And uh, one is Quadri Jones, mm-hmm. who was... which I was a little surprised. I expected a different name to be doing that, but um, there's still a lot of time. If you guys don't know what the transfer portal is listening, the transfer portal is uh, exactly how it sounds. It's where you basically throw your name into this pot and it, you're declaring that you're going to be leaving for a different school. And the way the transfer portal works, you can apply for an NCAA hardship, which will get you immediate eligibility to go to any team you want. If you do transfer teams, you have to sit a year. That's an NCAA rule. And a lot of times, a lot of kids that are true classes, meaning like if you're a true freshman or a true sophomore, they'll redshirt for a year so they don't lose a year of eligibility. However, if you transfer to a division below what you're in, it's immediate eligibility. So some of the players that transfer can go to an FCS, which stands for football uh, championship division, or used to be known as 1AA, will get immediate eligibility. And we had a running back that did that recently in Juwan Hamilton, who transferred from UCF over to, I believe, James Madison, and was immediately eligible, and I think played on that national title team uh, that they won when they beat uh, North Dakota State a couple years ago. So that's something just to, you know, that's always something I look at the end of the year when it comes, it's part of recruiting too. Transfer kids are a huge part of recruiting. They were huge for us last year. We had, what, like 11 kids transfer to our school? Right. So, and we, we only saw a handful of them because most of them had to redshirt. So the other one we're losing is a defensive end or something? Uh, I, th- I believe we said it was Ike Taylor. Okay. Or Ike Williams. He, he was a freshman. He then. was a freshman defensive tackle who's transferring. So he didn't... Which, or defensive end. I think he was defensive end. Um, undersized. He's kind of a, uh, he's more of a 3-4, which means three defensive linemen, four linebackers look uh, to play like the the outside pass rushing role, which obviously we switched our defense. Um, when he was recruited, he came, or I think it was the year after he was recruited, he was recruited with that idea of a 3-4 of a in mind before we switched to a 4-3. Um, because when uh, Chenander was our uh, defensive coordinator, he ran a 3-4 defense where you have three really big defensive linemen on the ground with their hand in the dirt, and you got four linebackers. And what you do is you get really – what are traditionally defensive ends, you have them play on the outside and they rush. Um, and so he was kind of – he's kind of that player. He's a, he's a stand-up rusher. He doesn't put his hand in the dirt, which is not the defense that we run. So I think that just wasn't a scheme fit, and that's why he's leaving, which hey, go find where, where you're going to go fit and get an opportunity to play. Right, and we wish the best for you guys. Uh, the other one who I believe will probably transfer, there's been some hype around this recently, is uh, our man Daryl Mack. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think he'll be gone. I, I read on the dungeon this morning that 
he is now following four different uh, head coaches of different universities. Mm-hmm. So Not surprising. That just happened. So, uh, you know, he's, he's obviously looking at some options. Um, the thing with him, just like you said, is he's already burned his redshirt year. Correct. So if he does transfer to another Division One school, he will most likely have to sit a year mm-hmm. and then have one year left to play. Um, he could always do the option of going to an FCS school, playing immediately, or he could stay at UCF and, mm-hmm. and stay in the role he's at and graduate and then transfer to a school. But Correct. If you graduate from your school, meaning you get your diploma, you're allowed to transfer as a grad transfer and you get immediate eligibility. That's what... Brian Wimbush did, and that's why he played immediately after leaving for McFerr's junior year. And I believe there's, there's a couple other players that have done that recently, just that were in the news that uh, I didn't realize graduated as quickly as they did and then transferred. The names are going to slip my mind right now. But right. Well, the Alabama quarterback did that and went to yeah. uh, Oklahoma. That's that's right. Uh, uh, so, I mean, it's that's another – there's a lot of different – and when it comes to quarterbacks, they're always the one that gets the uh, the – NCAA waiver to play immediately because obviously they make a big impact on a team and they'll find hardships or something that will allow them to kind of move around the landscape. It happened with yeah, um, the Justin kid, Fields. Justin Fields. Uh, yeah. The, the kid, the five-star quarterback from Georgia, he's having a true hardship getting beat by Jake Fromm. So he goes to Ohio state who playing phenomenally. Oh, yeah. Obviously he's in a great system and he's killing it. And he's probably going to be a Heisman contender next year uh, here. I mean, he is this year, but he may win the Heisman next year. So, yeah, he had true hardship. And then you have a kid that you hear a story about, um, a player who transfers, I believe, from Virginia Tech to or, – or from Charlotte to Virginia Tech or vice versa, but an offensive lineman who leaves his school because his mother's fighting cancer and he wants to be closer to home and help provide for his family. But he has to sit a year because the NCAA didn't find that to be a true hardship. But yeah. Justin Fields cries because he doesn't get playing time and he gets immediate eligibility. And Tate Martell is another one. Tate Martell from went Ohio to th- State to Miami. Three different schools I think he's been mm-hmm. at now. He's because get- he keeps getting his butt kicked wherever he goes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, th- th- that's something that happens a lot, too. It's never a true, you know, it- it- it's open to interpretation. The NCAA will do whatever it's- it sees fit for their product. So the the question is if if Daryl Mack does transfer and Quadri Jones transfers, we're down to one quarterback there. Um, well, we have we, we have a, we have a great recruit coming in. Yes, Mike Wright coming in, mm-hmm. but he is not eligible until next year, so he will not be a spring game guy. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. That's that is true. I, that's why I think because the portal stays open for a while. It's, it's going to stay open all in the off season. So I, if there's if DJ Mack is going to leave, I don't think he's going to leave immediately. I think he'll still play in the bowl game. Uh, I think that n- I, the writing's on the wall. Heupel's not stupid. He knows when players are going to transfer. And I think he knew that there was going to be a possibility of losing DJ Mack. Um, all because DJ Mack felt like he was a starter. He was starting caliber player. Um, and he wants to be the man for a team. So... He's going to go to a place where he's going to play. And I think that, that everyone knew that was going to happen the moment that um, Dylan Gabriel came on campus and was made the man and, and won the starting job. So with that said, you'd think that Hypo would have a sit down with him and say, hey, listen, look, we need you for one more game. And then you have my blessing to go wherever you want. Because the coach does have to sign off on that kind of stuff, too, and release him from his scholarship. That's part of the process. So I think that that'll be kind of a conversation to be had. And we'll be able to see DJ Mac play for one more game. You know, maybe we get the opportunity that he'll play a lot more and have a bigger role for that game. And then he'll go do his thing, which I'll root for, I'll root for him. Oh, absolutely. Him the best. I mean, he's, he's a good kid. Um, he's obviously going to, I think he's 
I don't know if he's had the baby yet or if his fiance's had the kid yet, but I know that's why his family moved to Orlando is he's going to be a father. Um, and he has the talent to be a, a possible NFL player in the future. He's got a rocket arm. He's oh, yeah. Big guy. Big, big guy. So we wish him the best in whatever decision he makes. I'd love for him to stay at UCF. But Absolutely. We'd love him to stay here. But if he does take off, again, UCF is recor- recruiting another quarterback as well. They've got Mike Wright, who's preparing for the state championship this week mm-hmm. at his high school. Which we'll give him a huge shout out. And, and I'll, I'll tag him in this when we post this on oh. Twitter. And I hope he, hey, go, he, go in You know what? He's That's been awesome. recruiting for us as well. He's been trying mm-hmm. to talk to other teams. He's all in on UCF, which oh, is yeah. awesome. I love that. So, That's great. And then the other one we're looking at is uh, Cade Renfro out of Texas, mm-hmm. which is a uh, – he was committed to North Texas. Um, he's getting some looks from some other big schools now. I think he just visited Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. But uh, Lebby and Heupel had a visit with him over the weekend. So, And I think that that's – with Quandry Jones leaving and knowing that Matt could be leaving, that's definitely going to open his eyes to us because it gives him an, an open room, basically. You, you don't bet on Milton being able to play next year – I would love to see him suit up, but I just, in my gut, I don't feel, I, I don't think he's going to. Right. I think that that's an injury that is unprecedented for recovery, what he's doing. If he does come back, it would be a football miracle. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's a miracle he still has his leg, let alone playing college football again. And so, you know, we pray to God that he does come back because obviously that also makes some very interesting questions of what you do in that quarterback room. When you've got a, when you've got a player like Milton that's back, who is probably never going to be the player he was, but... He can still sling that ball, and then you've got a freshman that broke all the freshman records. What do you do? So, well, I'm going to count Milton out because I feel like that's a good thing to do. It'll give him uh, some good karma to prove me wrong. But yeah, please, uh, please do. I'd love to be proven wrong. That'd be the best. <laughs> but we've got, uh, you know, Cade would be an early enrollee if he was able to come. So that would be a good thing for UCF. Um, you know, some other transferring news. Uh, we do have a. Uh, defensive coordinator right now who is at the end of his florida contract so um you know we we may lose our big d coordinator to another school maybe um you know i i was thinking about it at the time and i i've seen a lot of rumors about uh kiffin going somewhere and and um you know some of our coaches going places but um one of the things was that uh you know that that our, our, who's our D coordinator? What's his name again? Randy Shannon. Randy Shannon. Yeah. I'm, I'm confusing names that he'd be gone, but you know who I would like as a D coordinator mm. is the uh, former USF coach. I would love it if he came in and was our D coordinator because I believe in him wholeheartedly as a defensive guy. He just hasn't been the head coach that everybody thought he could be. Um, but he was phenomenal as the defensive coordinator at Florida for so many years. And that's why he got the job at Louisville and then had some success at Louisville, went over to Texas. And then, uh, you know, he kind of fizzled out at USF. Well, he fizzled out at Texas as well. But He did. I mean, like you said, great job at Louisville. I mean, it helps when you have Teddy Bridgewater as your quarterback. Yeah, but, Oh, exactly. And, but Texas... I knew Texas was always going to eat him alive. That's a very, I mean, first, I believe he was the first black coach to go to Texas, yeah. which is, the, I mean, it's Texas. I loved, and, and I can't say, I, Texas is a great state, and I'm not going to say anything ill will against the people of Texas, but you knew that was going to be a hard job for him right there. And then they had a, a ridiculous rebuilding project. Texas is still not back. I mean, they have a great coach um, over there now, the former Houston coach, and who I think was also the offensive coordinator for Ohio State. Right. Um, I can't remember his name, oh, God. but he, I mean, he's having a difficult time out there too, turning that program around that some of those blue blood, you know, big time college football programs, 
some you know sometimes they just kind of fade away and and people aren't as interested. I think there's a huge draw for students to go to city schools now where they can go to a place with a lot more to offer like in Orlando or like a Houston. That's where you see like a five-star kid like uh, at Oliver, you know, choosing to go to Houston instead of Alabama because there's more to do in Houston than there is to do in Tuscaloosa. Right. So. And Tom Herman was the guy's name. Tom Herman, yeah. right. You're right, right. Yeah. So thank you for that. He was a yeah, so there are some things going on there. Before we talk about that, though, let's let's wrap up here on UCF. Um, you know, we've got one game left. We don't know what it is yet. We're nope. waiting for some games to happen this week and the bowl selections. But what are some possibilities for where UCF could be going in a bowl and possibilities for who they could be playing? So currently, the big one that I think is on the tip of everyone's tongue is the Independence Bowl. And I'm only going to say that because just recently, the Independence Bowl official account uh, tweeted out that they um, – my dog wants to go outside, there's, there's but, I, but I'm, I'm not going to let him go outside right now because he just wants to play. Shut up, Finn. Um, so the Independence Bowl is probably the big one. Their official Twitter account went out and actually uh, tweeted that we might play Miami. They put that out on the internet. That would be awesome. So that would be a good thing. It is in, if you don't know where the Independence Bowl is, it's in a small town in northwest Louisiana. Closest way to get there would be to fly to Dallas-Fort Worth and drive, which is about a three-hour drive. Because from what I could tell, there wasn't another close airport. At least that's the biggest city. I mean, I don't know how close it is to Baton Rouge or um, to... Uh, it's definitely not close to New Orleans. It's at least a three right, or four right. hour drive from New Orleans. I so. would go back to New Orleans. That would be fun. Um, what else? We, we, we've got the Gasparilla Bowl, which is going to be out here in Tampa. That's a big choice with the possibility being Miami again is, is kind of slated for that. FSU may be slated for that. <laughs> those um, are the games we want. I those mean, are, I, I we're mean, probably going to end up playing Western Kentucky or something yeah, like that. A, but... a lot of the people that we have slated to play, um, I've seen a- a- Appalachian State. I've seen um, – trying to think of the other – a lot of Boise. Five. Somebody predicted Boise. But... I don't think Boise is going to happen. They're going to stick them out west, and they're going to stay out west. We don't have really anybody from the western states that are looking for us for a bowl game. I know people are talking about the Hawaii Bowl. That's not going to happen. BYU is going to the Hawaii Bowl officially, I believe. That was announced already. But I don't think we're going to take that uh, bid. It's, it's too expensive. It's really hard to get a fan base to go all the way to Hawaii for a football game. It's not going to happen. Well, um, the bowl I saw that Danny White was rumored to be pushing for was the military bowl. Correct. That's another big one with, with a possible group of five, uh, not group, I'm sorry, a uh, P5 opponent. That's the biggest thing is you want to pair us up with a, a Power 5 school if possible or right. P6 school, however we want to call it. But, you know, we've I've seen Virginia as a possibility of a team that we would play. I've seen Miami, FSU, um, I've seen, uh, I already said Virginia. I think I've also seen um, uh, Tennessee as an option because they're bowl eligible this year. So, you know, there's some, we have the possibility of going to Liberty Bowl, depending on how the whole schedule shakes out um, with, if Cincinnati loses and then they drop to 10 and 3, or, or they, they drop to, are they 10, you're 10 and 2? So they dropped to 10 and 3, um, which would time in terms of losses, even though we're 9 and 3, it could push us into the Liberty Bowl possibly. Um, with if Memphis wins, they're going to the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, that, that's a guaranteed thing. Absolutely. So we got we got to root for we got to root for Memphis, which we'll talk a little bit with the conference title stuff. Um, but if uh, if Memphis loses, Boise goes to the Cotton Bowl, and then Memphis would, I believe, be no Cincinnati. I'm not would then sold go to on that. I'm I'm not sold that Boise is going to beat. I mean, I guess it depends on the game. But I think if Cincinnati wins, they still have a chance to get that. It's it's all about ranking. You have to be in the top sixteen, I believe, to be to go to a, a New Year's Day game. Um, 
Because if a team that's ranked like twenty five, oh, you have to be top sixteen. To I go? believe you have to be. In a, you have to have a top ranking on top of being the best group of five. Really? So like, it's I not thought just, it was the best group of five champion. There's so there's a ranking involved. As I, well. I believe so. Like, okay. I mean, hey, if, if someone out there hears this, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's a combination of being a high ranking group of five, but also, but which is part of being the best group of five. Mm-hmm. So if you're the, if the best group of five team is ranked. 36 and is not even in the top 25 they're not going to the cotton bowl because it's, it's kind of an at-large thing they're going to pull an at-large team in because i believe when you look at the official rankings the peach bowl and the cotton bowl are the two bowls that are both at-large bids they're not tied to a conference so i think that they're traditionally given to the to a high-ranking group of five school to give them that exposure which is how we've gotten in you know the fiesta bowl multiple times because we had a high enough ranking and we won our conference um and it's how houston's done it it's how Boise's done it. It's not something that goes every single time. It's not guaranteed for a group of five. I don't believe. Okay. Because I'm pretty sure that the the Rose Bowl has got conference ties. The Sugar Bowl has conference ties. Orange Bowl, they all have conferences that have contracts with them, which is why you'll never see an SEC or us will never play in the Rose Bowl. Right. Ever. Unless, unless the Rose Bowl is a playoff game at that time. Then we'll have that opportunity. But traditionally, the Rose Bowl is for the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Correct. So... Um, when it comes to group of five schools, we do not have any guarantees. You have to be a high-ranking team, and you got to win your conference. All right, so we will find out what that bowl game is probably next week after these uh, these conference championships game come out, and they'll start doing selections for that. But we're, we're hoping for the best. Um, let's talk some other college football news. Uh, the, the big one, we kind of mentioned it a little bit, was uh, Charlie Strong out as head coach at USF. Yeah, not surprising considering, you know, the back-to-back years that they had. If you, if you don't remember last year, they set a record for winning seven straight games and then losing six straight games. Right. Never happened before, which is – I'm really glad they have that stat. That's pretty awesome. And he had a very rough year this year. He it, did. It was tough to watch his press conferences after the game. I mean – I, I like the guy. That's the problem. I don't know if I've told you this before, but when I was at Apopka, I was the linebacker coach at Apopka, and I was mm-hmm. in charge of the goal line defense during something that was going on. And Charlie was there, and he worked with me for about 10 minutes so, because we kind of ran what Florida did. Mm-hmm. So he you know he helped me with the banjoing on who should be covering who and, and coming out. So I've liked him ever since that. Um, I've hoped for the best for him, but I do hate the Bulls. So him going down is kind of like the Bulls going down, so it's kind of bittersweet to me. It is. He's, he is a good guy. He's a good coach. Um, and I think that he'll get an opportunity to continue coaching somewhere as either a defensive coordinator or he may even get a head coaching job at a smaller school. It might have to be like an FCS or like a Sun Belt kind of school, but I think he's going to get. He's a big name. He, he he's he's a good recruiter. He brings good athletes, oh, yeah. and he's just as you can see over this. You know the two schools he was at. He hasn't been great at developing talent, which I think is a big difference between a school like UCF and USF. USF has arguably been better been a better recruiting school, but they haven't been a better developing. We've we've made our mainstay in getting athletes onto campus and then making bringing out the best in them. And USF has kind of lacked that the last few years. So. Um, and have you heard the rumor of who may be his replacement? Yeah, Charlie Strong out, and I've been reading on Twitter. I'll let you mention it. But. Yeah, Willie Taggart. Yeah, Poss- I, mean, I think this is more of a USF fan thing. Um, and he, ha- I think he, he officially actually came out and said that he'd be interested in coming back to South Florida. And USF fans were immediately jumping on that, like, "Oh yeah, let's bring him in." Same with Jim Levitt. They were talking about bringing Jim Levitt back. <laughs> I don't think he can come back. Yeah, there's some. There would have to be some changes to his contract because I believe he wasn't necessarily fired i believe he resigned with like an agreement where he in, in his agreement it states that he can't be rehired so yeah he would there would have to be some a settlement basically they'd have to go to court and they'd have to you know restructure the language of that to bring him back 
but I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen either. I do think that Taggart is an option, and he's an option for the same reason that Randy Shannon was an option for us, because he is already making money. He's already got his, his contract mm-hmm. money. So USF would not have to pay him you know, a really substantial anything. amount because the rest of it, would he would still be getting his FSU money. Mm-hmm. And that's what we were doing with Shannon was he was still getting his UF money and we didn't have to pay out of pocket as much as he's worth. So this year, his UF contract is up basically and, mm-hmm. and we've either got to you know, give him some more money or hopefully he'll be happy uh, coaching for the same amount of money we've been paying him or he'll I, be gone. So. I think he'll get a, I think he's going to get a raise from us mm-hmm. if, it, if it gives us the opportunity to keep him. I don't think he's going to be leaving for a head coaching job. No. He does not want to be a head coach. But he could be a D, D coordinator at Arkansas he or, could. And he, and he would probably or get, Ole Miss or somewhere and he, he like is getting, that. He's getting a, a – he gets – a good chunk of the of the allocated money that we have for assistance. Right. So I know that there's going to be a race to that because that was something that Hypel spoke that he wanted. And I know that Danny White's going to do whatever it takes to keep a staff like that together. That's going to continue to bring these kids up. And if people who want to criticize Randy Shannon as a coordinator have all the right to, he's he, he is a good coordinator. Um, I definitely agree with that. He can sometimes be lazy because sometimes you, you watch a game and you're like, did you watch any film on this team? Um, but he is – He's a great recruiter. Yeah, he has gotten basically everything south of I four on lock. He is he knows the Miami schools. He gets those kids. He's got a lot of ties in the state of Florida. So keeping him around just for the sake of recruiting is going to pay off in the long term because that's what his bread and butter is. He can bring in some really good athletes. Well, I I think just like you and everybody else, we want to keep this coaching staff together because that is a, a huge part of continuity and, mm-hmm. and keeping the team going. But you know, Shannon's one who might leave. Lebby is another one I've heard who may get a job, big time job somewhere else. I think the one we need to hold on to for sure is Ellerby. Yeah, I think right. he's he's like our our coach who's you know loves the kids. The kids love him, mm-hmm. and he gets some big time O linemen to I've, come in. I've here. had a beer with Greg Ellerby. He's a really cool dude. Yeah. He's, a, he's really not. I got the opportunity when I was at uh, my last school, when I was at Winter Park. We, I went to a coach's clinic at UCF, and it was fun. And the coaching staff brought us up in the press box, and they ordered everybody pizza and beers, and just yeah. sat down. Get a chance to talk to him about football. He's a really nice guy, and he didn't even then. He didn't really want to talk about football. He was just like, "This is my first." He just came from Missouri. He was like, "This is my first time in Florida. What can I do? Should I get a Disney annual pass? Where else can I go to do fun things?" It was really, really fun to talk to. So he is a good offensive line coach. He's good at recruiting offensive linemen. We've had some big boys come to our school. That was, I think, our biggest critique. A lot of people say that. The biggest reason why UCF would fail facing some big SEC people is we don't have the size on the lines. And if you look at our recruiting recently and what our offensive line looks like, they're 300 pounds plus across the board. They're big boys. So he's using his his connections when he was at those Power 5 schools like Missouri to get some of those big boys into our campus. And you bring up Missouri, and uh, they just fired their coach as well. They did. And we've got a few Missouri coaches, you know, former Missouri coaches mm-hmm. on our staff now. Um, I know that there was a rumor that Hypel might be on their radar. I don't. I don't think Hypel leaves. Well, here's the thing: is that Danny White is a genius in the way that he wrote up the contract. If Missouri was to hire him away from us, they would owe us thirteen million dollars. Yeah, which is huge for us. I mean, I think we got three for for Scott Frost, which basically meant that we never paid Scott Frost to coach at UCF because we got the money back. Exactly. But thirteen would be just giant for our program. It would be huge. So. I mean, you can definitely find a good coach with thirteen million dollars, yeah. and especially all the. I just saw like a week ago we had a half million dollar donation from another from another donor so there's plenty of money coming into the football program and the athletic program in general it's not just the football but i don't think we'll have that issue it's a growing school with a growing base of donors that want ucf to be successful with all the things we're doing so 
if Heupel were to leave earlier than we would hope or expect him to, I don't think it would be very difficult. It's a very attractive job for a lot of people. So I'm not worried about him really leaving. I think he's here to stay for a little bit longer. We'll see. Yeah. I'm hoping. I mean, he, he doesn't have the personality of a guy that's going to go hunt down. You know, if Lincoln Riley leaves for the NFL, maybe he goes back to his alma mater in the same way that Frost does. But I don't foresee him leaving to go to Arkansas or Missouri or yeah. North Carolina. You know, one of those middle to low tier Power Five schools for the sake of going to a Power Five. And whatever school wants him is going to have to pay that huge fee mm-hmm. to UCF. So he's got to have a phenomenal year for some team to want to be able to pay. Because they not only have to pay that to UCF, they now got to negotiate a contract with him, which is going to be a huge contract. So Correct. I think we have him for four years minimum. I, agree. I don't think he's going anywhere. I know anywhere. you mentioned Lebby. Lebby's, a, I mean, he's, our, he's the offensive coordinator, not necessarily the play caller, which may be a reason why he would want to leave, mm-hmm. is getting those duties. I would hope that that's a conversation that they would have, and he would be given more responsibility, because he, he is a young coach. He's not, you know, he's in his 30s. He is obviously going to continue to trend upward. I think he's a good coach. I think he's, he's also, what people don't realize is he's the quarterback's coach on top of being the OC. So he, even though he has the title of the offensive coordinator, um, he, he's not the play caller. Those are two different things. You can be an offensive coordinator without calling the plays on the sideline because it just means that you're going to run the offensive practice. You're going to install game plans. And he works in tandem with Heupel, who obviously is known for being an offensive coordinator. So I can see uh, him. I could see him leaving, but I don't think he will. I well, think he'll he, stay. He comes out of Baylor, and his cousin is the offensive coordinator for – for FSU right now, mm-hmm. which is uh, God, what's his name? Um, the former Baylor coach's son, uh, Bryles. Bryles, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's cousins with Bryles, and, and you know FSU just lost their coach, so Bryles is probably not going to be there much longer unless mm-hmm. the new staff wants to keep him on board. So I, I just see some kind of big move with Bryles, Levy, um, you know, maybe maybe another coach, Lane Kiffin, maybe going somewhere. So they may all kind of come together because Bryles was with Lane Kiffin back at FAU before he went to Houston, and then he went to FSU. So there's a lot of connections there, and yeah. some, some big job opens. So that, that's what I'm thinking about as far as maybe some of our coaches looking for greener pastures, but I hope that's not the case. That's a good point. Um, let's talk about some ti- uh, conference title games that are coming up, because that's what this week's all about. Yep, conference title weekend. So we'll make this pretty quick so we can move on to some other great topics. I mean, as much as football is great, <laughs> let's, let's, let's touch on this really quick. Um, SEC title game, we got LSU versus Georgia, number one versus number four. If LSU wins, number, Georgia's out of the playoff run. If Georgia wins, LSU could still be in the playoff hunt. They might, they might only drop a couple of spots and be like the number four seed. Uh, who do you got in that? Well, I'm hoping for Georgia to win that because I want there to be two SEC teams in the the uh, finals just to piss everybody else off. So mm. I'm I'm hoping for a Georgia win, um, but my gut tells me LSU is going to win. Agreed. It. I think LSU there. You got the ACC title game: Clemson versus Virginia. Virginia ranked number 23 currently in the rankings. If Clemson loses, they're out. If Clemson wins, they're obviously got a locked up spot. A lot of flack currently on Clemson from having a weak schedule. They have not played a top 25 opponent yet. Um, they haven't lost a game in 27 games, and you have Dabo Sweeney in the news talking about how everyone's overlooking them, everyone wants them out, everyone wants them to lose. What do you got for that one? Again, pulling for Virginia. I'd, yep. like, I'd like to see chaos, but I, I think Clemson gets it done. I think so, too. I don't think Clemson's going to lose anytime soon. Uh, Big Ten, Ohio State versus Wisconsin. Uh, Ohio State being the number two seed, they have slaughtered everybody they've played. Justin Fields playing out of his mind. Who do you have? I think if Ohio State loses a close one, they're still in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, I'm pulling for Minnesota to win this one. Or, or Wisconsin. Wisconsin, excuse me, yeah. Wisconsin to win this because I would love for the Big Ten runner-up to get in and the Big Ten champ to be sitting at home. 
That okay. would be kind of a cool thing. I think it's going to be a close game. Uh, I mean, they played each other earlier this year, and Ohio State won 38-7, and there's always a football adage. It's very hard to beat a team twice in one season. Pac-12 championship game, 10-2 and Oregon versus 11-1 and Utah. This is huge for Utah. Predictions are that LSU beats Georgia, which means Utah, currently ranked number five, has an opportunity to be the guy look, from the outside looking in, getting into the playoff and representing the Pac-12 for the first time since Oregon three to four years ago with Marcus Mariota. Who do you have for that one? I'm hoping for Utah again for chaos reasons. Mm-hmm, me too. I think I think Utah um, will win. I mean, they, they had a, a kind of a bad loss to Washington that ended, I believe, 7-5 and five this year. But I think that they take care of business. They're a great-looking team. Their quarterback, Huntley, looks awesome. They play great defense. I think that can be a very fun game to watch. It's going to be one of the ones that I'm definitely watching this week because that's an interesting game. you got the Big 12. Um, Baylor at 11-1, who's currently ranked in the top 10, versus Oklahoma, who's ranked right behind Utah at 6. So there's the whole idea of if Oklahoma beats another top 10 team in Baylor, do they leapfrog Utah and get into the playoff? Again, I, I mean, I don't even know what the most chaos is here because Baylor hasn't been a big name the last few years, so they've kind of gotten disrespected. They've only lost one close one to Oklahoma. Correct. In fact, they were beating Oklahoma pretty badly during the game and mm-hmm. ended up losing it at the end. So I, I like I whoever wins this one, I like the argument for trying to be in the playoffs because, again, it blows up the spot of the playoffs and saying that they're fair. Agreed. And so that I, I think Baylor wins this one. Like you said, they lost a close one Oklahoma already. I think they get revenge. I think that their coach, uh, Brule, is an awesome coach. And I'm hoping – I mean, there's rumors that he might you – know, he, he's – possibly someone that Jacksonville, the Jacksonville Jaguars may look at as a head coach really? for their team. Because now there's a rumor, I know this is tracking away from college, but in the NFL that the Jacksonville will be parting ways with Doug Marone at the end of the season after having an awful year. So, I mean, if they restart with that guy, he's a great coach, did great things at Temple, doing yep. great things at Baylor. Um, so I could see that. But I'm going to pull for Baylor in that game. And I'm going to talk about, I'm, I really don't want to get into some of the small ones, no offense to all the you know group of five schools. But the last one we'll talk about is the American. Obviously a huge one for our conference, 11-1. and Memphis versus 10 and 2 Cincinnati, both top 25 teams. Um, if Memphis wins, they're almost guaranteed the Cotton Bowl spot. If they lose, there's a really good chance the American does not represent. Who do you have? I mean, I have Memphis. It's in Memphis. They don't lose very often at home. And, no. and I hope for them to win just for our conference sake as well. I think Memphis is the better overall team. They've been on the cusp for years. Unfortunately, they've hit the stone wall that is UCF, who they have not beaten since like 1991 which is an awesome statistic. So it's seeing them go to the Cotton Bowl and win the conference only because we have a down year would be kind of a fun thing, but I'm rooting for them too. So I'm, I, I'm hoping they get in the Cotton Bowl, and this is why, because I think Alabama might be in the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, that'd be fun. And so Alabama's lost three losses have been Clemson, it's been LSU, and it's been Auburn, all Tigers. So if they play the Memphis they, Tigers. They'll, they'll lose to the whole four, four Tiger pack of college football. Which oh, dear be, God. If that happened... I could see in the news that uh, Nick Saban arrested after destroying all the Frosted Flakes in a Target <laughs> when shopping just because he could. He would finally snap when he sees one. Uh, but, no, that would be fun. I think that, that's yeah. a fun little statistic. I did read that the other day. There's been memes about that. Um, so moving a little bit away from football, uh, which has been very fun for the last 40 minutes, but now we've got a little bit of basketball and other sports. Well, let's let's do a shout-out here first to our Twitter Twitter. Oh, we're going to jump to that. Okay, let's do that. Yeah. Week. Who is so that? I got a gentleman. His, he's at Chris Brady 17 uh, Apparently, you see if Twitter Mafia did their thing, and this young gentleman led the charge and caused a Memphis fan to completely delete his Twitter account. 
Now, apparently, the little story behind he had like 17 followers, and he was kind of being a troll, but UCF Twitter Mafia doing their thing. This man leading the charge, slapping that hashtag UCF Twitter Mafia, and if you, if you don't really know, it's like hornets. UCF Twitter Mafia is a swarm of hornets that will sting the living crap out of you until you either die or you jump into water and hide, because they're relentless. And so this gentleman leads the charge, causes a Memphis play. I, I actually reached out to him because I was going to try to get him on the show. I just wanted to hear him talk about it. So if anything, if he decides that he would like to, maybe I'll either edit in that conversation or you know we'll bring him in on another episode. But I want to hear that story of how that went down because apparently the whole thread is like gone now. Because that guy, he when he deleted his account, you lost everything. So well, that, um, that is a hero. What was his name again? His name is oh, he, he's currently it says Christmas Brady has a beautiful little Santa emoji next to his name, but his at is Chris underscore Brady seventeen. So I'll oh, forward that to you. I'm gonna give him a shout out on Twitter. Cool. Um, just say he's he's our hero of the week for doing fighting the good fight. Let's bully Memphis. Also, just really quick on in the terms of bullying, have you seen everyone bullying UConn on Twitter? No, it's hysterical. All of the American is just completely crapping all over UConn, and it's the best as they're being chased out of our conference. Everyone's basically giving them the finger and saying, kicking them in the buttons and get the hell out. Yeah, good riddance. So thank God. We, we, don't, we don't need that kind of negativity in our conference with someone like UConn. All right. They're just awful. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap up the show here. we got a few, few different things here with UCF football. First one, or excuse me, not UCF football, UCF sports. Uh, our men's soccer team. Loses a close one to SMU. Yeah, unfortunately. That was in the Sweet 16, too. And, you know, we I think we beat SMU once in the regular season. They beat us in the conference title game, and we lose to them by one in overtime. Actually, I think it happened pretty early in overtime, unfortunately. Um, but, yeah, a, a huge shout-out to the soccer team. I mean, they had an amazing season, great run. I think it's the best that they've ever done. Yeah. I could be wrong because I don't follow soccer that closely. But I've been kind of following them from, from, the, you know, from a distance, just watching what they're doing and – Seeing them pop up on the national spotlight that and representing us that deep into a into a major NCAA tournament is pretty amazing. Well, great year for UCF soccer. Um, UCF men's basketball is still playing. They were in a tournament this weekend. Um, what did they go in that one and two or uh, oh, excuse me two, two and, and one, one. Two, two and one. one. They lost to Penn. Um, they beat Pepperdine, who, who I do recognize as a basketball name, and then they beat Charleston for the second time in three games because they had to play them in the tournament. So they went two and one. So I believe we're five and two now, with yeah. our only losses being. Penn and Miami, which aren't great losses. It's not going to help our standings of getting into the tournament, which I didn't really expect going into this year. But, I mean, 5-2 and two is not a bad starting record. So right. we got, another, we got a, another game this Saturday at noon against the New Jersey Institute of Technology Highlanders. <laughs> I mean, they're 2-6. and six. Uh, I think it should be a win for UCF. They, they just got smashed by West Point. Well, so. That'll be a good home game. And we played Charleston, and uh, we played them a lot tougher than we did last time. We I think did. We, we beat them by like a point right at the end. This time we kind of... We beat them by 11 this time. Yeah. It was pretty sound, so... Firm control of that game. And then we beat Pepperdine down pretty bad by, thir- uh, by 13. I mean, we only lose to Penn by one point. We lose 68 to 67 at the last second. So, you know, that, that could have been a win for us as well. And we played so bad that game. I we watched did. it. was frustrating to watch. We couldn't make a shot. So, oh, well. Um, so, yeah, noon on Saturday, we're playing, like you said, the New Jersey Institute of Tech. If you guys want to come uh, hang out with us, we'll be behind the, uh, the goal. I think uh, we're in what, section 102? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you go if you go to the game, there's where, where we're sitting, there's really nobody there. At least when we went to the Miami game, like, my seats are in row. P like seats three and four and there was nobody in sight like we were kind of like we have the whole section so come over and party with us we'll we'll buy you a coke because you can't buy can you buy beer in the arena I don't think you can I don't think you can if you can't I'll buy you a coke and we'll <laughs> pretend it's a beer and we'll have a good we'll have a drink with each other it'll be fun 
Well, the uh, the last thing we're going to mention here in Orlando, the Magic are still chugging along. Just went on a, a big streak here. Yeah, nice little three-game winning streak. And then uh, they're sitting at 10 and 11 now. Mm-hmm. We're, we're the number eight seed currently in the NBA. All right. Uh, which is great. Yeah. Holding we're, on to it. We're nowhere close to the end of the... I think we're about the quarter mark because if we're 10 and 11, you got 21 games. It's an 82-game season, I believe. Yeah. I think yeah. it's 82, not 84. So that means, you know, we're about that one quarter mark of the year. So at this rate, you know, we're looking at a 40 and 40 something season. So we're almost, we'll probably, right now we're sub 500. We'll be right about there. I think we end the season in the high 40s, maybe the low 50s in terms of wins. Cause I think we can get on a couple streaks, um, play pretty well. The team is starting to mesh. Markel Fultz with a career high 20 points against the Wizards the other night, which was awesome. Which some people like go, oh, wow, 20 points, that's it. I mean, the kid's been injured his entire career. And he looked great. He had some great shots. I know that was his biggest uh, his biggest smack as a player was he had no shot that like his shoulder injury prevented him from really having, you know, what he what made him special at Washington. So for him to have the mid-range game that I saw when he was when he had his uh, career high was awesome. And like you said, he's uh, last show you mentioned how he's always going for the slam. He's not afraid to charge the lane and take it to the take it to the basket. So um, he's looking pretty good. And we beat the Warriors by four. Granted, the Warriors did not have anybody. They are <laughs> the Warriors sh- are just they are a shell. The biggest turnaround this year. I mean, granted, again, they don't have. Draymond Green. They don't, they don't have, have Clay Thompson. They don't have Stephon Curry. They don't have Andre Iguodala. They don't have a team. Right. That team that's playing right now is is basically the equivalent of like the Oak Ridge Pioneer basketball team, which is a high school <laughs> basketball team in Orlando. So, which is a great high school basketball right, team. Right, right, right. That's not a dog to them. But um, yeah, I think that Oak Ridge can probably you know stay within ten points of Golden State right now, as as decimated as they are by injury and losing their big player, um, who went to the Brooklyn Nets, but. Uh, you know, we beat them by four, but then we hand, you know, two teams some sound victories, you know, beating the Wizards by seven and beating the Suns by 14. So we got the Cavaliers tomorrow. We're at Cleveland, but I don't think we lose that game to Cleveland. And then the tough one is we got the Bucks. We're at Milwaukee. And I, I don't I don't want to watch that game. The Greek, the Greek freak, freak is yeah. going to smack the crap out of us. But, I mean, hey, you never know. We can pull an upset. We beat uh, – we've beaten – good teams on their court before so we'll see how that goes well let's let's hope for the best um you know next week we won't have a game to go over but we will have the conference championship games and also we're big in recruiting season right now um, we are we're going to be really close to the early uh, signing period date which december is 18th i think correct. is what it is so um you see coach hypel right now out on the road as well as our other coaches trying to get recruits uh currently we have 19 guys who are committed verbally to ucf we'll see how many stick on uh on the early day and we'll see if uh some of them i know i i was reading some stuff on the dungeon about maybe um ucf would kind of get rid of some of the two-star recruits and and try to pick up some bigger names but we do have two big receivers who are coming in um that are going to be vital to the team but we'll talk a lot more about recruiting next week Mm -hmm. um be fun because we'll we'll make our show next week like a you know pre-bowl kind of talk we got recruiting talk that we can go over the post-conference title games and you know the playoff and how that's going i said we set up our show to be after they choose the the playoff winners who's going to go to the college football playoff which would be fun um and we will have ucf basketball magic basketball some fun stuff and hopefully we'll have a couple fun guests that we can bring on and talk to and uh we'll obviously announce those as they come in but i I got a couple people that i'm talking to to try to bring on the show that'll be fun to talk to too so all right good stuff so we will catch you guys next week Uh, i am hauser boozos yeah follow us at three nut bender on twitter you got hauser two for todd you got at coach boozos for me 
Go give us a like, a follow, a subscribe to our Twitter, subscribe to our iTunes, our Spotify, and you know, keep an eye, keep an eye out for whenever we drop a show. It'd be fun. Well, thanks a lot, and we will see you guys on the next show.